Zechariah chapter 14. Here we are. It is the final chapter of this minor prophet. And I was informed just prior to the service, four years, 11 months, and 20 days so far. All right. In the minor prophets. Wow. Um, I do know there are some. J. Vernon McGee did the whole Bible in five years. I don't know how he done it. <laughs> uh, no, I do know how he done it, but anyway. All right, here we are. All right. Um, so, uh, Zechariah chapter 14. This, perhaps, uh, and, and, and this, is, this is my estimation for this the study of the Minor Prophets. This is one of the most detailed uh, chapters that we have as far as future is concerned, our future is concerned. Some things that Zechariah saw, as all of the prophets, all the minor prophets, and the major ones as well, some, sometimes they did not see the age in which we are now living. And that's okay, uh, because again, primarily their, uh, their writing was to, uh, uh, to the nation of Israel, whether it was to the southern tribes or the northern tribes, the divided kingdom, or if they were even all together, it didn't matter. Uh, it primarily was to the nation of Israel. And we're not readily seen in, in, in light of that. But when we start looking at the details of this chapter, uh, it is going to, I think, amaze you. So I will warn you ahead of time, we're going to go very slow in this. We're going to be here for a couple of weeks, all right? Uh, and just in this chapter, because of the detail uh, that's given. We've heard some things uh, maybe preached in the past Maybe you've heard when Jesus comes back, he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and all that stuff. Where do you hear that at? Guess where? Zechariah chapter 14. All right. So this is, this is this, I'm telling you, this is one of the most exciting chapters because of, uh, again, of its detail. So we actually have quite a bit to, uh, to, to uh, break down and, and unpack in this, in this chapter. And so we're, we're going to look at it now. What we have seen so far, chapter 12, 13, and 14 kind of go hand in hand together because they all talk about, all three of these chapters, Zechariah's writing, and he's talking about the last days of Israel's history as we know it. All right, the last days of Israel's history. So when we get to that point, and, and, and we see what is coming even in the future. Some of the things have already transpired, as we've noted already. Some of those things were immediate prophecies that have been fulfilled. And we can look back historically and see those things. But then, uh, again, noting the, the, the detail, the intricacy uh, and the detail of what Zechariah goes through as he penned it, as it was given to him from, from God uh, above now, now God saw this happening. All right, Zechariah is just, you know what? I'm the penman. I'm just writing this down. God gave it to him, and he's writing it down. And I'm sure I, I, I couldn't help but think this. All right, I have no proof of this, but Zechariah saying, "Wow, this is kind of amazing." You know, I, he's writing these things down. This is pretty cool. You know, this is what's going to happen. And and then some of those things we look back say, "Yes, it did happen exactly as it was written." And I am sure, I'm positive of this, when everything is said and done in heaven, Zechariah is going to say, wow, man, this, this is pretty cool. You know, everything that I wrote, you know, in this book, in this chapter, especially this last chapter, everything that I wrote that God told me to write, 
It was superbly accurate in everything and in every way. So here's what we're going to do. The chapter is quite lengthy, all right? So we're going to read part of it. We're going to read a little, maybe half, a little bit over half of the chapter. And you're going to, you're going to see some things that are, that are going to unfold and happen. And then, then I'm going to try to go, we're going to go back through and we're going to, we're going to take some of the details that is mentioned here and, uh, and, and break these things down. Now, other prophets as well have, have indicated that this day's coming, okay? You know, Zechariah is the one that uses that. He, he didn't coin the phrase, obviously, but he uses it more often than anybody else. But he said that day, that, that day of the Lord, he uses it more than anybody else. And he begins the chapter speaking about that. But other prophets saw it as well. Joel saw it. Uh, Malachi saw it. We, I know we haven't got there yet, but we'll see it in Malachi. Uh, Zephaniah did. There was others that seen things. Ezekiel saw some things in the future. We, we make reference oftentimes to the book of Ezekiel and some things that he said, some things that we can see right now, right now, currently, that are developing that Ezekiel has talked about. Okay, that's you know, pretty interesting as well. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to do that at a later time. I've got to finish these minor prophets. And then we'll, we'll look at some of those details in, in, in that book a little bit later. But let's, let's do this, all right? Um, let me say this as well. Some think that the events that took place in chapter 14 have already happened. Okay? They think that. But they're wrong. All right? So I, I, I want to I lead you in the right way. And, and the reason we know that they're wrong is because of other events that have taken place or that will take place in the future uh, ha- have not happened yet, but they will take place in the future. We'll see that as we move through uh, the text of Scripture. So it really is I- impossible <coughs> that they could have already taken place. With the detail that Zechariah gives, it, it shows us that it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. All right, because some think it was Nebuchadnezzar. This is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Some say this is talking about Titus. No, 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 no. It's not talking about those days. Uh, All of them point to another time frame, okay, which again is yet in our future. So here's what we're going to, let's read a little bit in the chapter, and then then we will uh, go back and we'll look at a few of the verses and see what happens here, okay? First of all, verse 1, behold. The day of the Lord cometh, amen, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now remember that Zechariah is talking to Israel. I'll come back and explain that verse in just a moment. Watch what he says now, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north. And half of it toward the south. All right? 
Now, it is impossible for that to have happened yet. Why is that impossible? Because I've stood on top of the Mount of Olives. And it is intact today like it was in Jesus' day. So that could not have happened yet. That's just one detail. I just want to throw that out there, all right? So you see how interesting that is? All right. Now, that's pretty cool, you know, when the, when the Lord, and, and I know I don't want to jump ahead of myself because that's, that's later on in the chapter. We won't even get to that part tonight. But I just want to say this. One day, in that day, when Jesus comes back, his foot's going to step down or set foot on top of Mount Olives, and half of it's going to go to the north and half to the south. All right, is that, not, is that not pretty cool? All right. That has not ever happened in the history of the world. Ever. But it will happen then. Watch this now. Verse number 5. Speaking to Israel again, he says, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Isaiah. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Mm. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Now, I've got to stop reading right there because I've got to tell you all this stuff, the other stuff, all right? Uh, we we got to back up to verse number one, all right? So here's what we're going to talk about in this chapter, and, and uh, specifically tonight, is the final battle for Jerusalem. This is it. The last battle. There will be no more after this. It will be done. Israel's history will be over. Everything will have been completed when we finish this chapter of Zechariah as he is prophesied will take place. Now what does he mean or what is he saying in these, in these verses? There, there have been throughout the, the course of history numerous times in which the Jews have suffered. We all know that. We, we know that from recent history. When I say recent history, I mean like two months ago, right? And, and, and then we can even go back a little bit further. There's, there's several other instances and things that have taken place in the land of Israel and around the city of Jerusalem that have happened in, uh, you know, from the hands of the surrounding nations and, and others even more distant as they've tried to come in and take over. At times, at, at this time, Israel will have signed this particular event right here. Okay, We're talking about right now as Zechariah is speaking. He says, Behold! That day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord cometh. At that moment, Israel will have already signed a covenant, a treaty. And there will be a time of peace. That peace will come the, uh, uh, by the, and from the leading powers of that day. The leading powers, namely the Antichrist and 
the revived Roman Empire. That treaty will have been signed. That covenant will be signed. But I will say this, that that covenant and that treaty is going to be broken. But at this time, when this begins, okay, when all of this begins, that treaty will have been signed. The Antichrist is going to break that covenant after that brief time of peace. And he is going to bring and invite all the nations to the ultimate battle. And the ultimate battleground, the ultimate battlefield. And it's not going to end very well for those nations. Anybody who turns themselves against Israel, and it has been evidenced all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Minor Prophets, and even especially the last verse of the previous chapter, where where they are going to be defeated. They, They will be conquered, all those who are against Israel. It's going to happen. When that begins, we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know, but we do know that it is coming. As everything else has been prophesied accurately and it all has come to be, come, to, come about, it is going to happen again as Zechariah has told us here in this text. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that's, that's kind of exciting. I, I want to show you a couple of things tonight. I, we'll see how far we get already. Um, you know, time is slipping away. But look at this, if you would, first of all, number one tonight, the invasion of Jerusalem. This invasion comes in verse number one and two, and there's some detail about that. Let's go back and let's look at it again. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. The spoil that he speaks of here is the, uh, the looting or... Uh, the um, uh, what's the other word? The plundering of the the uh, houses, uh, the plundering and the looting of the city proper of Jerusalem. That spoil is going to come within the midst of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, but you know some of the outlying areas as well. But he is mainly here talking about that place in that day. And, and even the very first word of this chapter, when Zechariah says, Behold, he is trying to emphasize something to us that we need to pay attention. It, it, it's, a, it, it's like an exclamation point here. He is, he is, it's like if he were speaking uh, verbally, it would be like, Behold, I need your attention. That day's coming. The, the day of the Lord is coming. Look, listen, what we've been talking about for the last two, three months has been the coming of the Lord and the fact that we need to be ready. We we need to be prepared because that day is coming. I don't know when it's coming, but we still need to be prepared. Am I I not right? Okay, if we're not ready, well, I mean, there's so many things that are involving even in our lives right now that that we need to be prepared for. And and when Jesus comes back or if we meet him one way or the other, we're going to meet God and we need to be ready to meet God. The Lord's going to do something. Here, that division, he says, uh, again, in verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. 
And thy spoil, speaking of Israel, speaking of the city of Jerusalem, shall be divided in the midst of thee. It's going to, it's going to come down to where they are going to experience some division among the, the, uh, the, the looters and the, the plundering. Can, can I just remind everybody, just recently, just a couple months ago, when the, those from Gaza, when the Palestinians moved into to Israel on the southern border, uh, southern area down there near, next to Gaza, and that Gaza Strip, they did the very thing that we're talking about. When they went into the kibbutz places there, the couple of them, they looted, they plundered. They did everything that these first two verses talk about. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm just saying that's a prelude to what is going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Watch what he says in verse 2. He says, I will gather all nations. Now we know that there, that, that was just one group. One group, the, the Palestinians who did that into to, to Israel. Okay, But here the Lord is saying, I'm gathering all the nations, all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now what I find interesting is that the Lord says, I'm going to gather them. This is not an idea of the Antichrist. He'll think it's his idea, but it's not. It's God's work and God's doing. Who all is that going to include? Oh, listen, all those nations that are gathering together, they're going to feel safe. They're going to feel confident in their attempt to conquer. But they're going to be led into the greatest defeat and the greatest battle that they have ever encountered of all time. This gathering that we're talking about, that Zechariah is talking about, is described in Psalm 2, in Joel chapter 3, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Revelation 16 and 19. All these chapters, all these different writers have included this particular time in which all of these nations are going to come and they're going to gather together only to be defeated. Mm. Um, in all honesty, it seems to be an act of judgment on God's part, doesn't it? It is. It is. The reality is, if you look at it, it looks like God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. It's really a judgment upon the nations. We look at it, it too, and, and what we see is not just a judgment upon Israel because of the invasion coming into Jerusalem and coming into the nation of Israel, but we, we find blessing as a result of that because there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a people that remain. There's going to be the, 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 the defeat and the, the, the conquering of those nations. They're, they're going to have to tuck their, tuck, tuck their tail and run. Yeah. I want to. I want you to see this as well. In verse two, there's multiplied grief that's going to take place. Notice what he says. He said, "I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled." The, the word "rifled" there is it, it means looted, plundered. Again, uh, all the houses in that land. He said, "The women ravished." Now. When, when he talks about the women being ravished, the rib, rim, women will be violated. The worst possible thing that you can think of, that's what he means by that. I could go a step further, but we have some young ears, and I'm not going, I'm not going that far, okay? But they've been violated in the worst possible way. He says, and, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. 
He says further, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Meaning there is a remnant. There are some that were, will be left. Okay, there, there's, the, the, the world will come to a, uh, an agreement at this particular time because God will bring them together in this part of the world. All right, This grief numerous times throughout the history of Jerusalem. Just the city itself, Jerusalem. Uh, has been there, there have been attempts to siege, and they actually the enemies have come in and sieged Jerusalem. They have conquered Jerusalem on numerous occasions. I, I went back, and, and and I don't want to bore anybody with history, but I just want to show you. I want and, and listen carefully to this. All right, I'm going to go slow as I mention this, but I'm going to list the times in the history of Israel in which they, somebody has come in and attempted to siege them or, and, and successfully done so. It started when David took the city. King David. King David took the city from the Jebusites. The Jebusites had it. And David come in and took it. Second Samuel. I have references for these. Scripture, in, in those that are mentioned in the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter number 5, verse 6 through 9. David come in and, and he sees the city. Then, then there was another guy. He was from Egypt, the leader of Egypt. His name was Shishak. All right? In the days of Rehoboam. Remember when the kingdom was first divided under Jeroboam and Rehoboam? Well, Shishak came in in 1 Kings chapter 14. And, and he ransacked the city and he besieged Jerusalem. There was another king by the name of Sennacherib. Now, he was not successful, but he threatened. He had had the city completely surrounded. We talked about him before, and he had his entire army, and, and Elisha was outside or inside the city, and his servant was all scared to death, you know, biting fingernails, knees knocking together and all that stuff. He was so fearful of what was happening because he saw the armies of Sennacherib all completely surrounding. And, he, and, he, and Elisha said, hey, told the Lord, the angel of the Lord said, open his eyes. And he opened his eyes and he seen the host of angels. Hey, guess what? All of Sennacherib's army, 185,000 of them, graveyard dead the next morning. They, he tried. There was that threat that was thwarted, all right? Let's move forward. I know sometimes when we think about, think about the siege of Jerusalem and those that attempt to come in and those that uh, want to ransack and capture Jerusalem, many of them, again, have been successful. Nebuchadnezzar was successful of, of the Babylonians. And he came in and he burned the temple and, uh, and Jerusalem was left in, in, in ruins, in rubble. Then there was Antiochus Epiphanes. He later destroyed much of, of, the, uh, of the, what was left of the city of Jerusalem after they had rebuilt it. Then, then there's the Roman general Pompey in 63 B.C. We're getting close to the time of Christ. And already there's been one, two, three, four, five. That's six times that Jerusalem had been conquered or seized or attempted to be seized just before Jesus came and was born. The one thing that I find interesting about General Pompey, a Roman general, is that he attacked Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And he knew that they would not fight because it was the Sabbath. 12,000 Jewish people, God's people, Israelites, died in that battle in the city of Jerusalem. In 37 B.C., another fellow by the name of Herod fought. 
for five months with the support from the Roman army to conquer Jerusalem. Titus and the Romans in 70 AD was one of the worst in history as thousands were crucified. The temple was burned and the city was virtually non-existent for the next 50 years. The Romans came again in 135 AD and they changed the name of the city and built a temple to Jupiter. They banned Jews from going into the temple mount or the place where the temple would sit. They banned them from going up there. There was 400 years of silence after that as the church, the body of Christ, began to build. And as a result of that, buildings were built, churches were built, houses were built and constructed. Okay, 400 years of silence. Then in 614, a Persian by the name of uh, Chosros, he tried to obliterate the Christians. In 637, a fellow by the name of, or the caliph, uh, Omar, he handed Jerusalem over to the Turks. Now, I, I know if you're, if you're not a history buff, not, a lot of this is not going to make sense, but what? Listen, listen. In 1098, the Egyptians sent their military in, uh, leader in to overcome the Muslims and plundered the city. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you know there's the presence of Muslims there now? Did you know that they occupy the Temple Mount right now? All right. They had it in 1098. In 1099, the Crusaders came in and took the city from the Muslims. Then in 1187, another fellow by the name of Saladin took it back for the Muslims. Interesting. In 1244, the Tartars slaughtered the monks and the priests of the Muslims, and they they took it then. Then in 1917, we talked about this not too long ago, uh, General Allenby led the British forces against the the Arabs uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, the Arab forces, and, and he seized Jerusalem without firing a single shot. That was in 1917. In 1948, the Jews and the Arabs fought when Israel became a state. In 1967, the Jews captured Jerusalem from the Arabs and united the city, made it the capital as they claimed that Israel was a state. Though the Arabs didn't recognize it, but the Jews did. Do you see a pattern here? Now, I know I've given you some information. I've thrown a lot at you. But but there is um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7... Uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 different times that the city of Jerusalem has been captured or at least one attempt, so Nechareb fell, but, and there have been other skirmishes and so on. I'm just saying, what is so important about that city? That 19 times in its history it has been Siege. There's been a battle for it. There's been an invasion coming into the city. Uh, again, Christians, Turks, Muslims, all of them have come and wanted that city because it is the seedbed, the beginning of all of Christianity. All of religion. Currently, the city of Jerusalem is divided into four quarters, and each one, each one has their specific, uh, there's Christianity has their, their corner. The Muslims have their quarter, and, 
and uh, the Arabs have their quarter, and uh, it's, it's just, it's a mess. I'm just saying, it's a mess. You take one step into one quarter, from, from, the, from the Jewish quarter into the Muslim quarter, you can tell the difference. You can, listen to me, you can feel the difference. Hmm. Taking one step. There's a difference in the culture of those different, those four quarters in the city of Jerusalem. But everybody wants it. I'm going to say this. The worst is yet to come. You know, sometimes we, we have that phrase, the best is yet to come. No, 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 no. In this situation, the worst is yet to come. Even after 19 attempts of, uh, of trying to take and invade Jerusalem and, and overcome Jerusalem and, and be the, uh, the, their own force in that part of the world, the worst is coming. It will appear that the Arabs and the world powers will finally have accomplished their hopes of taking Jerusalem and ridding the world of the Jews. That's their goal. You think about it, you look back historically and you see that is exactly what they want to do. The, those in that part of the world, they're fighting because they want, they want the Jews exterminated. They want God's people to be exterminated. Many of the Jews have died as a result of these attempts to take over the city and take over the land. But now what happens because of what we're talking about and seeing in verse 1 and 2 is that they will, uh, they will once again be, be captured. Once again the houses will be plundered. Everything that they have and everything they own will be looted. They will have nothing. The women violated. But there's going to be some left. That's very small remnant left as we find at the end of verse number 2 and nations who are these nations these nations are going to align together and they're going to make this valiant effort to invade Jerusalem here they are there'll be an alliance with the northern powers according to Ezekiel 38 and 39 we can look and we can see and, 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 and come to a conclusion that it is, it is the Russian people that will come from the north. They will, listen, the Russians will formulate an alliance with other nations to make their way southward to Israel. There will be a union of the nations in southern Europe. Listen to me now. In southern Europe, part of the European Union. Those nations in the southern part of Europe and the European Union will align themselves with the revised Roman Empire. How do we know this? Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13, Revelation 17. There will be a king of the north, Daniel chapter number 11. There will also be a rise of the kings of the east. East of Jerusalem, who are they? You have Iran, you have Iraq, you have China, you have India. Those are major, major players. You also have Saudi Arabia in that mix to the east. All of these will align themselves. They will have the city of Jerusalem completely 
surrounded. You with me? All right. It will appear that they're going to be successful at the beginning of the invasion. But then, something happens. You may tell you, you want to wait till next week. Huh? All right, look, look, look. I've been trying to lay a foundation here because Jerusalem is going to be invaded. It's apparent. It is very apparent, it is very obvious that, that many want that. 19 different times it has been attempted. It is going to appear that they were going to be successful. But then look what happens in verse number 3. I want to show you this. Verse 3, there is the interruption of the Messiah's coming. Look at this. Verse 3 says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the battle, in the day of battle. All right, did y'all see that? Did y'all see what's happening? Why do I call it an interruption? I call it an interruption. It's an interruption to the invasion. The invasion is coming towards and against Jerusalem. The interruption of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to do his interrupting of the invasion by his coming. And his coming, the Bible says there, he's going to fight like he did the day of battle. How, how, what does he mean by that? There was a time in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, that the battle was, was, was uh, um, David was a little distraught. David wasn't sure about the, the, the battle, about victory. And he was reminded that the battle was not his, but it was God's. The battle is the Lord's. Now, why is the battle the Lord's here? Hang on. Who brought them there to begin with? We know that from, from verse 1, verse 2, right? All right. Uh, again, he says in verse 2, the beginning, for, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. God is going to bring them. God is going to gather them so that God can take care of them. That battle is his. Many forget this one truth about God. And, and, I, and I hear this, and, and it is true that God is a God of love, and He loves you. He loves everybody, all right? And we were talking about that upstairs just a minute ago. Yeah, He, he loves people. He don't, love, he don't love sin. Y'all understand that? Everybody understand the difference? He don't like your sin. He don't like my sin. He don't like any sin whatsoever. But He loves people. That's why He gave His life. He gave His life for people. Uh, you know, for, for, for the sin. But let me remind everybody of this one truth. He is also a God of war. Exodus 15.3. God is a God of war. So he's the one. He is the grand champion of all champions of war. There's never been a battle in which the Lord has fought that he has lost. All right? You, you got that? There's never been a battle that God has fought and he has lost. Now, I'm going to say this. I've lost some battles. You know why I've lost the battles? 
because I was fighting. When I fight the battle, I am apt to lose. But if God's fighting the battle, there ain't no way I'm going to lose. Y'all understand that? God, Because the battle is the Lord's. And he is always victorious. The battle belongs to the Lord who will end every attempt, all attempts, from the, to, uh, to destroy his people once and for all. It is going to stop in that day. Behold, that day. Well, how's my time? Yep, I got to quit right there. I'm going to quit right there. I don't have to quit, but I'm going to quit. All right. So this is this is what's going to happen. Now we've read verse four down through verse number nine, and this is where it gets extremely, extremely interesting as far as the details are concerned about when Jesus is coming back and what he is going to do at that particular time. What happens to the people at the end, the ones that were left, the residue, the remnant that was left in verse two, the end of that? Where do they go? What do they do? I mean, if this huge battle is is coming and God's going to win. What happens to them? What is God going to do? Ah, come back next week. We'll talk about that. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father, we love you so very, very much. We're grateful for your blessings. And Lord, thank you for loving us. We're thankful, Lord, for the day that we can talk about that's coming. That great day in which you will gather those nations and you will ultimately defeat them. Father, we... We, uh, we thank you for your goodness and blessings and mercy and love. And I uh, pray that you would um, take these thoughts, these words tonight, Lord. May they be helpful. May they encourage us to be um, better prepared in our own lives. But Lord, also to be able to um, speak to others that they likewise would be prepared for the coming days. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.